Let's open our Bibles, shall we, to Acts chapter 1. We called this session The Father's Blessing. You know, that's the title of my book, uh, the first book we did, because all that happened to us so suddenly in 1994 was, was so... It was so overwhelmingly powerful compared to anything we'd ever walked in before. And yet it was so lovely and so loving. And we realized we were getting in touch with the love of God. And so I just want to cover two points real quick here. I hope it isn't so quick that you don't get much out of it. But uh, first of all, the power of God is a wonderful thing. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 4... Jesus, in his departing words, is saying this. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Everybody say, the promise of the Father. Promise of the Father. How many think the promise of the Father would be worth waiting for? You know, I'd wait for that. Okay. Especially, these are the last words of Jesus on earth. Now, guys, remember, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, which you've heard from me, which I've told you about. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, see, we're so used to Christian language that we can kind of miss the, the, uh, the awesome importance of this word. John immersed you in water. It was a symbolic identification with being washed from your sins. But he says, I am going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. I think we need a much broader definition of, of the baptism in the Holy Spirit these days. Because the baptism in the Holy Spirit doesn't just mean you spoke in tongues 20 years ago or 40 years ago. What it means is you are being immersed in God, the Holy Spirit. How many know how big God is? How many know He's big? He's big. You imagine being immersed in Him? Oh, <laughs> it's a tremendous promise. Now, Jesus was saying that we should wait until we're immersed in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. You shall receive power. Say power. power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes, one of the things you and I receive is power. It's not our power. It's his power. But he gives it to us. And if... if if we can just catch this, that I believe every believer has been given power and authority from God. Jesus imparted to the disciples in um, Matthew chapter 10 verse 1 and Luke chapter 9 verse 1. There's an amazing scripture there where he called them unto himself and then gave them power and Luke says, and authority. Now, 
when you have authority, what that authority does is enables you to release the power. How many are believers tonight? Jesus gives every believer power. How do I know that? John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes on me, he or she, if you're a believer, raise your hand. Okay, this means you. Point to the person next to you. This means you. Tell them, this means you. He, she who believes in me, the works I do, you will do also, and greater works than these you will do. One of the things I'm so excited about is the multiplication of people in ministry that know how to now go out and release the power through the authority that God has given them. Because as he did with the disciples, so he does with you and I. He calls you unto himself. He calls you in that place of intimacy. And he gives you power and authority. And notice, it's power over all sickness, power over all disease. Think about it. You know, one of the, the problems that the Christian church has today is the fact that we, we've tried to go and preach the gospel and do the Great Commission without power, without a lot of power. And there was no power being demonstrated that people could see there was power. Power was talked about theoretically, theologically, but it wasn't demonstrated. And there was no evidence of it. And so without power and without love, can you imagine? The two basic ingredients for bringing the kingdom of God to earth is power and love, and we're trying to go out there, do the Great Commission without either one of them, really. And God wants to put that foundation in all of us. This is your inheritance. This is what he wants for you. Look at those two hands of yours. Hold them up in front of you. Aren't they wonderful? I mean, they wash your face, they dress you, they care for you, they, you know, work, they... They play, they do all kinds of things, those hands of yours. And when you give them to the Lord, he will use them as an extension of his hands to bring the kingdom of God in love and power to those that you care about, to your friends and your kids and your family and so on and so on. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul reminds us of the importance of power. He says, I didn't come to you in man's wisdom with clever speech and all that stuff. I came in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's what happened when Paul came to town. I want you to think about Paul and his little band arrives. I don't know how many there were, four or five of them maybe. And they turn up in Corinth. Notice they're not afraid of principalities and powers. They're not, you know, doing all of that stuff. They just walk in like they own the place. Oh, I know they got beaten up a time or two, but they walked in like they owned the place and they started releasing the power of the kingdom of God and mighty signs and wonders happened and before long, their problem was crowd control. Before long, the city's in an uproar. You know, this is an aside, but I'll throw this in for you. The Lord told me one time to just read the book of Acts and he said, I want you to sit down and read it from beginning to end without stopping. So I said, well, that'd be great. I don't know how long it took, like 45 minutes or something, sat down, read the book of Acts. And he said, now read it again. So I read it again. He said, now read it again. 
I read it again. That happened about four or five times. I spent the whole afternoon reading and rereading the book of Acts. And the Lord said to me, what did you learn? And I'm like, and then the lights went on. I learned about riot evangelism. Over and over and over, they'd go into a town, start a riot, the whole town would hear the gospel, half of them would take it and half of them wouldn't. And then they'd go on to another town, to the point where they're saying, oh no, those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. See, why? They're demonstrating the power of God and the love of God. Wow, and that's how it's supposed to be. That's the kingdom of God. We've just observed that there's a deficiency, isn't there, in the, in, in the power of God. I'm not happy with the level of God's power that goes on in my church. I want more. We have healings every week. We have people saved every week. I love that part. But I just know compared to the book of Acts, compared to the Gospels, there's so much more. And so as we start spending time with him, more is released. And I found out something that people learn this stuff by doing it. So you get you got to practice on real people. All right? We should set up a lab somewhere with sick rabbits, you know. <clears throat> and say, "Okay, now you get good with those rabbits and then we'll think about letting you pray for some people." But it doesn't seem to work that way. We, we get practiced on. And, you know, it, it, sometimes you get half healed and you get a quarter healed or something. Nothing happens. And, and you're like, what's wrong? I know what the Bible says, but where is this thing? Well, press in. Come on, more and more and more. This is our inheritance, people. He, she who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Greater works than these he will do. Jesus said, because I go to the Father, what does that mean? I'll be sending the Holy Spirit your way. This is why he says, wait for the promise of the Father. There's, there's three key words there. Wait, promise, and Father. It's not wait for the power. It's wait for the promise of the Father. And the Father is so loving and he's so proactive about this. His love is going to find you and pour out on you an anointing so that you can make a difference in this world. Now, there's two journeys that you and I are called to. One is the inward journey. The other is the outward journey. The inward journey is a very, very important journey. You've got to get your heart healed up of life's hurts. Are you mad at anybody? You know, have, are you holding bitterness toward anyone? Are you, is there unforgiveness there? Is there secret sin in your heart? Is there stuff going on? Are you looking for love in all the wrong places and things like that? That's the inward journey. The Holy Spirit wants to come and work in that stuff and set you free in all of those areas. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands tonight, but I know that there's a lot of heart stuff that God's not pleased with and he wants to get it out of you and me. How many agree with that? When we saw the Holy Spirit coming on people in power, I quickly learned that there were two things going on at least. 
The first thing was good stuff was going into people. And the second thing was bad stuff was coming out of people. That's essentially what is going on 90% of the time. When you see people shaking and rolling and screaming or crying or laughing or something like that on the floor, it's because good stuff is going in and bad stuff is going out. Now it can get into a whole prophetic thing where they're acting something out and it carries a message, but 90% of the time God is doing a work in the heart. How many of you would honestly say, I, I need a little more work in my heart, really? If I were to be honest with you, you know, there's one or two things in there that I'm not happy with, and I'm sure God would like them out. Just give me a wave. See, what you need is to find a safe place where you can talk about that with somebody. Because we put such performance on one another that you've got you to gotta act out like you've totally got it all together. And yet, truth be told, there are areas of the heart that need ministry. Do what it takes. Sell the farm. Get ministry. Carol and I went, took a week of ministry. I told our church, hey, we're, Carol and I are going, pray for us. We're going for a week of counseling. Everybody gasped, you know. Is everything okay? Is your marriage okay? Are you okay? Oh, yeah, everything's fine. We're just going just because I'm not happy with this scenario of, of shame in my life that I uncovered. It was ashamed of this shame to that. There seemed to be a pattern. You know, you connect the dots, you know, and there was all that shame stuff. I said, I want to go and find out what that is. Carol and I went to a place that was in Florida then. It's, in, it's right near here now, isn't it, Carol? Where's Hendersonville with the Chester and Bessie Kilstrip? And boy, they prayed for us for a week, and we just had a wonderful time of getting stuff dealt with in our heart. But we came back and told our team, and they're all like, Wow, I want to go. Can I go? You know, can I go? And so, yes, all of our team goes for stuff like that. Again and again, not, not a one-off thing. I call it the sanctification process. If you're not as holy as Jesus, you're going to need some more work. Because that's the destination. That's where we're going. So there's the inward journey. But then there's the outward journey, where the Lord wants to use you powerfully to make a, dis a difference in the lives of the people that are around you. That's what the power of the kingdom is for. He's going to give you power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Look at your hands again. So you don't, you don't really think of them as lethal weapons, do you? The devil is terrified of your hands. And he's hoping beyond hope that you never discover the authority and the power that is supposed to be flowing through you. And once you discover it, he's in trouble. Tell the person next to you, you're powerful in the anointing. The Word of God says so. There's a deficiency of power, and we're asking for more but there's also a deficiency of the love of God. Do you know I discovered that the inward journey and, and your, your, your openness and willingness to cooperate with the Holy Spirit on that inward journey will determine actually how far you go on the outward journey. There's a lot of truth in that. Now some people have gifting and anointing that goes way beyond their character and that's, that's another issue. 
But most of us uh, are, are, you know, dealing with the things on the inside that limit us because we think, well, who am I? I'm just a woman. I'm just too old. I'm too young. I'm not Bible school trained. I mean, we disqualify ourselves for all of those reasons. And we say, well, I don't think God can use me, therefore. Listen, he can. He wants to use you. Do you realize in the first century that the church spread so rapidly and it was basically um, the Christians were made up of poor farmers and slaves. That's who they were. They had never been to Bible school. They'd never been to any kind of formal training. Many of them couldn't read and write. But they got to know God. And they got to know the Holy Spirit within them. And they dealt with their stuff on the inside. And God began to use them. And they won the, the, the Roman world, didn't they? In the first couple of centuries. It was an amazing, amazing story. And so here we are now, fast forward 2,000 years. It's happening again. China, Africa, India, Latin America. I mean, it's just exploding around the world. I hope you're aware of that. I hope you're aware that the church is absolutely exploding around the world. It's not working so good back home in North America, but I tell you what, it's sure working in China. I heard an amazing story of a, a, a Chinese farmer, 30 years of age. He, his his high-tech way of looking after his church is his one illegal cell phone. That's all he has. He oversees a network of eight million people. A 30-year-old farmer. One of my favorite stories was, a, was an 18-year-old Chinese girl who has a church of 20,000. How do you think, well, if she can do it, I can do it then. How is she doing that? By the anointing, by the Holy Spirit. She just came to believe that what Jesus said in John 14, 12 was true of her, and she began to just go for it and practice on people until she saw miracles happening again and again and again. And I'm telling you, it's happening in Africa, it's happening in China, it's happening everywhere. 30,000 people per day come to Christ in China. How are they doing that? By the anointing. You know, if you do the math on that, that's, that's like a million a month. One million a month. That's pretty good for ordinary Christians, isn't it? I loved that about two months ago, Time Magazine did an article entitled The Christianization of China. How many saw that article? Did anybody else see that? One back there. There must be more than one. How, who reads Time Magazine? One, two. It's, two. it's too liberal, I know. But that's what I get. Anyway, it keeps me kind of up on things. The Christianization of China. And right in that article, it said that there are some, there are some areas of China where Christians are 90% of the population. And they're the only force that the communist government is terrified of and afraid of. Isn't that amazing? And they are multiplying like there's no tomorrow. And it isn't just China. It's Africa. It's, it's India now. It's, it's Latin America. Oh, my gosh. We were in uh, Bogota, Colombia a year ago 
for a pastor's conference there with Ricardo Rodriguez, and I think it's the most powerful meeting I've ever been in my whole life. There were 15,000 Latin American pastors there from all over Latin America, and it was just off the chart what God was doing. And those guys all went home rabid in the anointing, just couldn't wait to pray for somebody. See, the world's exploding. We've got to set aside this, this idea of, of, of Christianity that is, uh, you know, it doesn't offend anybody. Politically correct Christianity. There's no such thing. Come on, this is in your face. Power, miracles, and love. I mean, revolutionizing stuff. That's what we're called to. And it's all because of the Father's love. Well, i got to finish this real quick. But I want you to see that Jesus operated in great power, but he also operated in tremendous love. Do you know that he really loved the Father? I mean, that just wasn't something he did because he was afraid of him or something he did because he was honoring him. He did it because his heart was so connected with the Father. He loved the Father. He would, he would just as soon as left the multitude with all the miracles and all the stuff that was happening, and said, you know, it's all great, guys, and I'll, I'll see you in a couple of days. And he'd go off in the mountain to, to be with the Father. Why? Because he absolutely loved him. Now, why do you suppose Jesus loved the Father like that? I think it's because the Father is so lovable. He's nice. See, the, I'm telling you this. God is nice. Listen, it took me years to figure this out. And I don't know where my head was at, Bob. I mean, I read it. I had a theology of the love of God, but I never operated in that. I thought, Jesus is okay, but watch out for God the Father. Because you can never please him. You know, he's so strict about this and that, and he's always upset or angry at somebody. Listen, we have totally misunderstood what he's like. John chapter 1, it says that Jesus came to reveal to us what the Father's really like. Jesus is saying over and over, these works that I do, they're not my works, they're the works of him that sent me. It's not me healing the person, it's the Father doing it through me. It's not me loving that person. It's the Father doing it through me. It's not me washing Peter's feet. It's the Father doing it through me. That's the thing that is so amazing about the Father. And in John 14, he's telling the disciples, I'm going away. And they're saying, you know, well, just show us the Father then, and that'll suffice for us. And Jesus said, well, I've been, have I been with you all this time and you still don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, if you've seen what I do, if you've seen how I minister, if you've seen how I care, if you've seen my compassion, you've seen the Father because that's exactly what the Father's like. Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, he, he's the express image of the Father's person. Jesus and the Father are alike. And it's it's love that connects them. And this, this is my point for us today, that it's love that releases the power. People that love you are trustworthy people, and to those people, you're going to give the true riches. God is calling us into this great love affair
Um, because that's, that's where he wants us to go. Um, Jesus, of course, had his highest value on love, didn't he? Um, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. he was asked, Hey, Jesus, what's the most important thing in all the Bible? And he answered, Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, strength, and mind. That's the most important thing. The great commandment first, and then the great commission. When God sends you and I out, he wants us full of the Father's love, full of the revelation of the Father's love, and then sends us out now to love people as power is released upon them. I want to conclude with a story <clears throat> from Luke chapter uh, Luke 7. It's a story of a woman, a sinful woman, who heard that Jesus was in town. And if you read that passage from verse 26 down to Oh, sorry, verse 36 down to 50. You see an amazing, amazing story about how the love of God works. But Jesus is invited to go have dinner at the Pharisee's house. Now, how many know that is always going to be high adventure? <laughs> Jesus and the Pharisees had a way of clashing because their stuff was so external and they were just so nitpicky on things that he thought was important. So whenever he went home for dinner with them, the disciples were always in for a hot time. And here we go now to Simon's house. And in Scripture, he's called Simon the Pharisee and also Simon the leper. And I believe it's one and the same. He lived close to Martha and Lazarus and Mary in Bethany. And I think the woman is probably Mary. But anyway, here we are having dinner, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees uh, asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now this is an amazing thing. This is a fallen woman, a woman, probably a prostitute. And she comes into the Pharisee's house. Jesus is there with the twelve disciples. And, uh, you know, the roast beef is all cooked and, and the potatoes. And, I mean, it's just a great meal. And everybody's, you know, and all of a sudden in comes this woman. So your first question is, what's she doing here? How does she just walk into the guy's house? Right? Did you ever ask that question yourself? Prostitutes don't walk into my house. Do they walk into your house? How many say, no, they don't? But they walked into this guy's house. <clears throat> well, it's not what you think. I, I imagine she's a neighbor or maybe a relative, and she kind of came and went. She's just the, 
next door neighbor maybe or a relative like I said and she had access to his house and when she found out Jesus was there she knew by reputation that maybe he can help me get out of this lifestyle and she goes straight for him now look what happens she stood at his feet behind him weeping washing his feet with her tears wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil now that's really, this woman is moved. I understand where she's coming from. She's desperate. How many know she's desperate? You know, I, I don't know how desperate Carol would have to become to, to dry, wash and dry somebody's feet with her hair. Where are you, sweetie? There you are. And her hair is short now, but it used to be longer. It wouldn't work really even anymore, but there was just no way. If I said, honey, why don't you just wash and dry my feet with your hair. She would look at me like, you got to be kidding, you know. There's just no way. She's very fussy about her hair. Just, you know, it's like, don't touch her hair. Just leave her, you know, to do what she does with her hair. But this woman is so moved, she's drying her tears off these feet that, as we see from the story, were not washed. He's got the dust and dirt of travel on his feet. Well, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. If he's a real prophet, he'd know. Like, what is the deal here? Basically, his question is, what is he doing? Doesn't he know? Can't he tell? What kind of a prophet is this? You don't need to be much of a prophet to know what kind of a woman this is that we're dealing with here. And so Jesus speaks to it and said, Simon, I've got something to say to you. Um, do you see this woman? Well, I came into your house. You didn't greet me with a kiss. I came in with all the dust and dirt of the road on my feet. You didn't wash my feet or any of that. But you see this woman here, when she, she is washing my feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. Look at the Lord's words here. I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he turned to her and he said, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins. And then he said to the woman, your faith is saved, you go in peace. Now here's the second point that I want to make. <clears throat> this lady spent extended time crying over his feet, kissing his feet, pouring oil on his feet, and, and just crying some more. And he allowed her to do it. 
Now, guys, I just wanted you to get in touch with how uncomfortable that would feel. Just for a moment. If you uh, are invited to a friend's house as kind of the visiting evangelist or speaker or something, and a prostitute comes in, and now she's crying over your feet and, and, and drying them with her hair and kissing them. I mean, kissing and kissing and kissing them. I would be out of my comfort zone in about one second. <clears throat> and there'd be a couple of thoughts going through my mind. I'd be saying, thank God Carol's not here. <laughs> <clears throat> and I'd be saying, lady, listen, I, I know you're desperate and everything, but you know, just move over there and let some of the sisters pray with you and minister to you when you do that. But Jesus allowed her to do this. Why? Because, see, he really believed that the greatest commandment is to love him with all your heart and soul, strength, and mind, and then to love one another. And he knew that this woman, it wasn't a sexual thing here. It, it was a love for the anointing. It was a love for the ministry that he carried. It was a love for the kingdom. It was a love for freedom, a cry for help and freedom. And she's honoring the anointing and honoring the man of God here. And he allowed her to keep on kissing his feet, realizing that there were people in that room who really disapproved. Because for him, it was more important for this woman to get freedom and to get healing and forgiveness than it, than it was for what the people thought. Can you see what a foundation of love is, is underneath this whole ministry of Jesus? He, he would take the heat. I mean, I'm sure that story went around. Well, I'm not too sure about that prophet from Nazareth. My gosh, he let that prostitute kiss his feet for half an hour. What kind of a man of God is that? See, they didn't even let a, a, a woman touch them. A rabbi would not let, let them touch him. And here's Jesus believing, no, guys, you got it all wrong. It's the clean person who makes the unclean person clean. Your sins are forgiven you. Go in peace. Now, when we come back to our scripture... Wait for the promise of the Father. We're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and bring two things to us. Power, yes, but love. I think one of the mistakes we've made is that we've separated the two, and we've sort of thought that the Holy Spirit, you know, can give power to one and love to another. I see them now as absolutely inseparable. It is the very nature of God. He only operates out of love. Love is the foundation thing. It is the big deal in the kingdom. That's the great commandment. And everything flows out of that. His kingdom is a kingdom of love. His heart is a heart of love. When he ministers to people, it's out of compassion that loves those people. And that's what we, he wants to get us in touch with here. And when you see how Jesus responds and how he takes heat even 
for letting people pour out their love upon him. He's not only giving love, he receives it. He knows that you and I need to give it back to him. And he's calling us tonight to fall back in love with the Father. You see, Father's a key word. Father means one who's watching over you, one who's providing for you, one who loves you, one who cares for you, one who really, really wants to minister to you, one who has provision, protection, and authority and power that he wants to give to you. God wants to fill us with his love and then with his power. You know, people who fall in love with him, I think they're safe people. They're safe to be around. They're safe to steward the gifts and anointing of the Holy Spirit. They're not going to build their own kingdom with it. They're going to build the kingdom of God. I'm ever so thankful that finally we woke up to the fact that God is love. See, for years I was on such a pursuit of truth. I thought, yeah, it's the truth we want. It's the truth. It's the truth. We've got to get at the truth. And of course, my doctrinal truth was, was more accurate than yours. That's just where that goes. There's a self-righteousness in it. But when you realize, no, the truth is actually that God is love, boy, that changed everything. I can remember at first it felt like the shorelines were cut and we were drifting out into the unknown, only to find out that this is the centerpiece of the Word of God. God is love. Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father. You have a heavenly Father who loves you, and He's promised to draw you into relationship and into a ministry that will rock this world for Jesus. They're doing it in China. They're doing it in Latin America. It's time we do it right here in North America. Let's all stand, shall we? Oh, hallelujah, Father. Lord, we want to wait this week for more of you. We unapologetically say we are desperate for the anointing. We need more of God. We truly do. And I pray, O oh Holy Spirit, that your fire will fall upon us here, that we will humble ourselves and position ourselves to come closer to you than we've ever been before. Now here's a starting point. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, do I have anything against anyone? Am I mad at anybody? Am I upset with somebody? Am I not speaking to anybody? And say, oh Lord, I humble myself right now. I, I repent. I want to fix that. I want that to be right. I humble myself in the sight of the Lord. I want to do what James 5 says, confess my faults one to another and pray one for another that might be healed. Lord, I want to clear the way right now for the Holy Spirit to flow in like a rushing river. Get that stuff out of the way.
you're upset at your parents, you're upset at your kids, your husband, your wife, your boss, your, the military, whoever it is, just forgive them. Just forgive them. He said, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. I know. But then again, neither did you. And Jesus forgave you. So let it go. For the sake of the kingdom of love, let it go. And let, let, let